Hello, and welcome to the Seattle Coffee Gear Podcast. I'm your host, Pat, and joining me this episode is Jake. How's it going, Jake? Hey, Pat. It's going just fine. How about yourself? Not too bad. Um, we are uh, going to be chatting a little bit about slow brewing today mm-hmm. and some specifics around it and kind of help define what like slow brew and brew means versus pressurized brewing like you would get from espresso. Um, if you listen to our brew methods episode, which is like our first real full episode, um, you'll be familiar with some of the terms that we're talking about, but we're going to go into a little more detail about like the brew methods them- themselves and kind of what to look for in uh, brewers and the beans that you might use for these different brew methods instead of just giving an overview of them. Um, mm-hmm. But before we do that, is there anything, any coffee or gear that you are excited about that you've been you've been hitting uh yeah actually i have been using uh verve's sermon blend as a cold brew uh and i've been noticing that i've been getting a lot of like blueberry and raspberry and that's kind of what i was looking for um when making this exact batch of cold brew and it really just popped and i've been making it with the oxo mini cold brewer which is really convenient for me because it fits so nicely in my in my fridge yeah yeah that's cool that's my biggest issue with cold brewers is space so mm-hmm. um that one is one of the ones i haven't tried to squeeze in to my uh cabinets and refrigerator yet so i'll have to give it a try um i have been kind of uh not the last new piece of gear that i tried was the 4300 which I think I might have talked about in another episode. I can't remember. But um, if when this episode comes out, it might be available. I don't know. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, we're recording this kind of well in advance of when it'll be out. But that, uh, that machine is awesome. And, um, yeah, it is. And one that I might want for my own countertop. Um, but otherwise, coffee-wise, I've just been um, enjoying the uh, Tony's 50th anniversary which we did for a roast of the month. Um, mm-hmm. That's really good. And then a ton of new coffees to taste this week, uh, which will be exciting. <laughs> yeah, um, those Ethiopians are really are really coming in. There's a, yeah, there's a yeah. lot of Colombians and a lot of Ethiopians rolling in from a number of really good roasters. So I'm excited to give them a shot. And it's definitely the season for some really good Ethiopian coffee. So that is, uh, that is exciting. Um, with that in mind, speaking of Ethiopian coffee, one of the best ways to drink Ethiopian coffee is um, by doing a slow-brewed pour-over. So good segue into our topic for today, slow <laughs> brewing. Um, yeah. And yeah. I thought we could start by talking about pour-over. Sure, sure. Yeah, pour-overs. Uh, a lot of people love them. Some people hate them. But I think <laughs> you know everybody can agree that it is probably the most... Um, finicky brew method when, it, when we're talking about slow brewing but not especially yeah certainly from slow brewing yeah yeah when we're talking about slow brewing um you know a lot of people uh are a little bit uh nervous maybe to start their their pour over setup especially if they're using something like a hario v60 um but what a pour over basically is is you you are taking your hot water from a kettle you know you're pouring it over the coffee grounds uh, and that is just filtering through only through the coffee grounds. And it is basically up to your pour to control the flow rate, the temperature with your kettle and things like that. Um, 
And I really like them personally because it does bring out a lot more of the flavor notes of the coffee, especially mm -hmm. as you were mentioning, you know, the Ethiopians, you can pull out a lot of those oils and aromas and tastes and those really, really nice things um, in a pour over because you're the one controlling everything from time to temperature to, to dose. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, it's a... It's a brew method that you definitely have to learn. It's not as simple to just kind of toss grounds in and, and let things happen, like with a couple of the other brew methods we'll be talking about. Uh, but it's also one that is super rewarding for a variety of reasons. I mean, for mm -hmm. one, it does bring out that flavor of the coffee in a pretty... Um, I guess pure way would be the way to put it. Uh, yeah, yeah. You really get the 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 kind of cleanest look at what the coffee not cleanest necessarily that the 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 cup is going to be entirely clean but like if you want to understand a coffee the for the best way to brew it at first i think is is with the pour over that's my opinion anyway um and then uh it also is sort of has like a ritual nature recently i've been kind of more uh wanting to just get my coffee so i've been using other brew methods but most of the time uh when i'm having like a, a night like on a weekend or something if i want to have a nice like sort of slow measured start to the day then i'll make a pour over because it's a really kind of it's kind of ritualistic in a way where you're um doing every step of the process yourself and that that can be really engaging i think and kind of connect mm -hmm. you with the coffee you also get things like you really get the aroma of each step of the brewing process you get the the scent of the beans before you grind them and after you grind them and after you bloom them and stuff. So, yeah. Um, but, uh, so with that in mind, let's talk a little bit about like the process, the actual like step-by-step -step process for what a pour over looks like. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, a pour over is uh, a cone filter and you're usually you have like a, like a specific cone filter for the pour over brewer that you have. Yeah, Kleda so, has their own. Hario has their own. Right, like Har. So we're mostly we're talking about here, like uh, Kalita, Hario, um, Melita, mm -hmm. and then um, the Espro Bloom is a newer one that's also really cool. So, but yeah. same same principles. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely, and it's basically you know a, a cone that sits on top of your mug or your carafe or or how it goes it, and. You have a, a small bed of coffee, uh, it depends on the size of your brewer, but it could be like 20, 30, 40 grams, depending on your, on your batch. Um, grind that, uh, you drop in your filter, give it a really nice rinse at first. That's always going to be the first step is, is rinsing that filter to get rid of any of that chlorine, uh, taste and all that paper taste that comes out of the filter, discard the rinse water, and then put those grounds in and then it's it's kind of up to you on how to brew. How I like to do it is I like to do, um, you know, a bloom with about 60 grams of water, which is basically just pouring the water evenly over the coffee grounds just to get them saturated. And you'll see a little bit of bubbling because of the, the gas that's escaping from from the coffee itself and from air bubbles making their way up to the top of the surface. Um, and then I kind of play it by ear. Usually it's 30 40 seconds, but if the bubbling stops a little early, I may start my bloom, stop my bloom just a little early, um, and, and go into my main brew. And I'm actually kind of a, I'm a one pour guy, 
Pat, what about you? Uh, I so I do two pours after the bloom, so three total pours, okay. um, which I think is probably like the most common way. Some people do yeah. four total pours, so three after the bloom, and, and like you're saying, one as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I use I do my entire pour because I'm making it in a in a larger hario than would be recommended, so that I can get all 300 grams of my water in in, in one batch, and then. I give it a swirl to keep it nice and even. And I find that that gets me the most consistency. Um, I might suffer a little bit in terms of, of brew temperature because I am not pouring twice, but I find that for me at least, um, it gives me a lot more consistency at the end of the batch. And that's one of the nice things about pour over is you get so much control over it that you really can find the sort of recipe that works for you. Um, mm which is harder to do with um, like drip brewing and, and press brewing and stuff uh, because there's kind of less control over the process. Whereas here you really can, uh, if, if, you know, temperature is really important to you, you can do uh, your bloom and then do one kind of quick pour and then do another kind of quick pour. Mm -hmm. uh, but with the kettle, with putting the kettle back on the, your heat source um, in between. So it stays really hot. Uh, or you can kind of do what you're saying and, and do a longer single pour after your bloom. Um, so there's really a lot of variability in pour over recipes. And when you combine that with the range of coffee that's out there, you get this like kind of like you can experiment. If you're into like trying to tease out different flavors from different coffees, pour overs. Uh, the only other brew method that comes close to pour over is espresso. Um, mm -hmm. in terms of being able to, to do that and change controls. So something, a couple things to note about that process is um, you're going to need, obviously, hot water in a kettle. Um, mm -hmm. We usually recommend people at least use a gooseneck kettle because that's going to give you uh, better control over your flow rate. Because if you just dump a lot of hot water onto the coffee, like out of a wide mouth kettle that you might use for tea, it's not going to evenly saturate the grounds and it's going to cause things like pooling and stuff so you don't want that you want to kind of be able to pour in a circular motion that's going to evenly put the water on the grounds so a gooseneck is good for that uh, and then also the speed at which you pour it on it has an effect as well um, so that's why we recommend using something with a little more control and you'll want a kettle that has more uh, ideally you can use a gooseneck that you're just heating on a stovetop and then letting it sit off boil for depends on a, your ambient temperature, what amount of time, but, but for mm -hmm. like, you know, 10 seconds or whatever to get that temperature in that 195 to 205 brew range. If you can swing it though, a variable temperature kettle that you can set the temperature on is kind of the way to go. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I find the variable temperature to be really, really helpful and, you know, it's helpful for a lot of other things like gentle teas and other yeah. things in the in the brewing world but especially for pour over um you know it's just it's all about controlling every variable that you can and getting the temperature stable and set is just one of those variables that you can get fixed so that you can play around with all the other ones that you're doing yeah yeah uh and it's also important to remember to put your kettle back on this is again why variable temperature kettles are better because you can put your kettle back on the heating plate in between pours so that you're getting that consistent water temperature. Um, so you're going to want that. 
grind size, I usually do like a kind of coarse drip level mm -hmm. of grind. So if your grinder has like a track, it's impossible to give you like exact uh, settings because every grinder is different. But if your grinder has a track and it has a recommended setting for um, like drip, I just go a few clicks coarser than that or, you know, five clicks coarser than that, depending on the, the degrees of, of change there. Um, if you have a grinder that is really popular, like a Bratza Encore, a lot of times if it's a popular, if it's a, a kind of major roaster, major specialty roaster, like if you're brewing a Stumptown or an Olympia or something like that, and mm -hmm. you have a Bratza Encore, you'll be able to find recommended settings. Like people talk about their grinder settings constantly for pour over online. So, but you'd want to generally stay in that like kind of coarse drip range. Is that how, about how you do yeah, it? Yeah. Yeah. I, I tend to stay, I actually err on the finer side of course, just uh, on the finer side of medium only because of the, and that's because exactly what I was talking about earlier, because I, I do do just one single mm -hmm. pour yep, and that slows it down enough to, um, because the grind is finer, the water won't percolate through as fast. Yep. And that makes it my three, three and a half minute brew, which I'm targeting. That makes it perfect for that. But if I was going to do a couple pours, yeah, I always would do air a little coarser, like the medium, medium, just on the air side of course, like you were mentioning. And part of why I go a little bit coarser is because I like to use um, fairly hot water and I like to, I don't like to have to stir it. If you use a finer mm -hmm. setting, sometimes you need to stir it to kind of move some water through the grounds. Um, but this is all, again, variables that you can control yourself when you're making a pour over. And you can see, like when I see that a coffee is um, draining really fast, then I go, oh, I need to go a little bit finer next time I brew this. Um, yep. So you, you can kind of make those calls and it'll become clear to you as you get used to it. If you have a bad pour over experience, definitely try to rework some of these parameters before giving up on the brew method, because it's likely that your grind settings off or water temperatures off or something. Um, because definitely. It's, it, you can pretty much, pretty much any coffee can produce a good pour over. Um, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I, I've made a lot of great pour overs, but I've also made a lot of bad pour overs. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing. It's going to happen. And when it does, don't be discouraged, you know, kind of, kind of study that and see what could, what, what could I change to make it better yep. next time. And next time when you do get that great cup, it's so, so rewarding. And the last key thing I wanted to mention before we, we move on to another one is, um, your measurements are really, really important. Having fairly precise amounts of coffee and water, the best way to achieve that is with a scale that you can um, pour on that adjusts fast enough that it's giving you constant a constant weight as you pour water onto it. So, mm -hmm. so that way you can get really precise. You know, sixteen uh, to one water to coffee ratio is the standard. Some coffees are better with slightly different ratios. Either way, just determine how much coffee, how much in the end you want, and then kind of work backwards from there math wise. And use a cost like a scale that is going to be able to update fast enough. There are some like normal digital kitchen scales that I've seen work for this, mm -hmm. but if you have the budget, uh, a coffee specific scale is really good, and then you can usually use it for other kitchen Everything. purposes too. Yeah, but um, I have a couple of scales, and um, they're both 
pretty good, but I one thing that I like I like Akaya's pearl scales. They're expensive, but if you're if you get into tinkering with your recipes, you can use their brew bar app, and it'll actually work with the scale to kind of like measure your flow rates, mm-hmm. and then and it'll give you like graphs of like. <laughs> when you poured faster and stuff like that it's really cool so you can take notes in it as well so that and set like your water temperature and stuff so you can kind of track how you brew different coffees so if you get really into it it's something to try um and uh and then as far as coffees are concerned i don't know my 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 usual go-to is if you get like a nice like natural ethiopian that's kind of my favorite coffee to do as pour over but i don't know what about you yeah, me too. Me too. Natural, because um, I do like getting pulling more of those, you know, um, fermented natural flavors out of there. And Ethiopians, uh, Kenyans, those both do really, really well for me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, anything, I mean, you can brew anything as a pour over. Like I've we've kind of said before, we use pour over to evaluate new coffees that we're considering adding to our selection. So, um, you know, anything will work, even an espresso, like quote, espresso roast sometimes works really well as a pour over. But um, because pour over brings out some of the more sort of sweet and intense flavors, I tend to prefer stuff with a lot of berry and floral notes as a pour over. Uh, So that would be my recommendation as a place to start if you are trying pour over for the first time. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Cool. So the next one that we have here on our list is drip brewing, which is like the classic coffee maker um yes which is very if you're listening to this show likely it's it's one of the first kinds of coffee that you at least saw if not had uh because very popular in north america um and that is because it you can brew a lot of coffee with it in with relatively quickly without a ton of of uh of messing around with uh with measurements and stuff Mm mm-hmm Mm-hmm. Yeah, drip brewing. I think it's 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 a ubiquitous you know household appliance at this point. Having a drip brewer, even if it's just one that you use once a year for the holidays yeah. or something. Yes. That's what we had at my house back when I was a, a kid, and that's that's how I grew up and how I learned coffee was making that on the on the drip brewer. And it's super common, and they've been improving little things um, ever since they've been made to to kind of make the brew from get it to me as quickly as possible to get it to me as quickly as possible to let it taste good. Yeah. And there's an interesting way that drip brewing, it does interesting things to flavor profiles. So it used to just be you used it out of convenience, but now because we have high quality drip brewers from the last, you know, 20, 25 years, um, you actually can get coffee that there's a reason why if you have a pour over set and a drip brewer set and plenty of free time sitting next to each other you might choose a drip brewer now Mm -hmm. absolutely absolutely and and one of the most important things that has come about is stability of heat out of the out of the out of the brew head or out of where the shower screen where the um, coffee gets the water dripped Mm -hmm. on it used to be basically that drip brewers would just boil the water, boil it as fast as possible, 
get it on your ground as fast as possible and get it into your carafe. But now with the advancement of PID temperature control, like in the Breville Precision Brewer, or you know, just really well-regulated boiling, like in a Techniform or, or a Ratio 6, something like that, those heating elements keep that water between the 195 to 205 uh, and they get there quickly. That's important. So you're not yep. pouring cold water there initially. And they keep it there for the six to eight minute brew cycle for a full pot, the six to eight minute brew cycle. And that improves the extraction and it gives you just a lot smoother of a coffee into the craft mm-hmm. without burning it, without under extracting it and without, um, you know, with while giving it a, a really just a pleasant balanced all around good taste. Yeah. And that's the taste you can expect from a drip brew is something that's super balanced. So it it won't have quite the same. If you try like that natural Ethiopian with huge berry notes as a pour over and it's a little much and you are kind of like, well, I don't know. This is a lot, a lot of, of, uh, this is a very intense flavor. If you try that same coffee in a drip brewer, what it's going to do is sort of balance out that flavor profile and give it a little more, um, kind of elevate some of the more like chocolate and um and like nutty notes while sort of neutralizing a bit the berry and floral flavors um and for some people that is if that's the kind of cup that you like then you can achieve it in a drip brewer without as much of the work that goes into brewing a pour over you can kind of get there with pour over if you play with your kind of parameters but um, with a drip brewer, you get that all of that, and it's super convenient to use. And depending on what kind of, of setup you want, I mean, you're going to want the same grinder for a pour over and for a drip brew, mm-hmm. same kind of grinder. But a drip brewer, if you just want consistent coffee that and, and you like the flavor profile of it, a machine from some, someone like Bodem Vita is really affordable. They're not... And can be even more affordable than getting a pour over setup. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, a, yeah, a, a, like a connoisseur or even the five cup, those are all SCA rated, which mm-hmm. means that they stay within that temperature range. And, you know, they are more expensive than, you know, the, the average drip brewer that you'd see in the, in your grocery store or in the like department store. But they really do. I, I really believe that they make a difference. In, oh, yeah. And improving your brew because you don't get. You don't get any more burnt flavor. Um, you know, a lot of times they use thermal carafes, which is nice to prevent burning on the hot pot or on the hot plate. And even when they have a hot plate, it's not quite as hot as the ones that are a little less expensive. Yep. Um, and it's all about just stability and and keeping things uh, nice and stable so that the coffee can just come out as as best as it can be. And like you were saying, Pat, yeah. I definitely think that it balances out and perhaps mutes some of the flavors, but a lot of times that's actually for the better because you're just getting a nice nutty, yeah, chocolatey cup. And and I really enjoy, actually, dirt brewing is probably one of my favorite brew methods. Yeah, I mean, my favorite, this is especially true when you talk about commercial brewers, drip brewers, commercial drip brewers, and, you know, your gas station maybe doesn't have a super up-to-date <laughs> drip brewer and maybe isn't using the best coffee, but... Typically, commercial drip brewers now are like really, really good at what they do. Mm-hmm. And my favorite way to drink coffee, like my favorite tasting coffee, is coffee from a what's called a pour over style 
uh, commercial drip brewer. All that really means is that it blooms the the coffee before it does the full drip cycle. And frankly, most good drippers do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but but and as far as I know, that's kind of the only thing about a pour over style drip brewer is that it does that. Uh, but um, that kind of a commercial brewer with in like an air pot is like my favorite way to drink coffee. It's, it's super good. Yeah. Yeah. And if you've ever had, you know, coffee at a hotel or even a fast food restaurant, generally they're using, you know, those, those types of drip brewers. And so if you enjoy it, you know, you already like drip brew. Yeah. And if you don't enjoy it, it's, it's worth trying with coffee. That is pretty good. A lot of places use coffee that's roasted kind of dark. Um, and that's for a variety of reasons. Sometimes it's because they're using cheaper, like Robusta coffees, which are if you if you roast them darker, some of the the flavor, the lack of flavor, is sort of covered up by the the mm-hmm. dark roasting. Sometimes it's just because it's easier to to roast in large quantities, a lot darker. So if you don't like coffee from your local fast food restaurant, it's still worth giving a drip brew a try with um, coffee that you really like. Uh, if you have a local coffee shop, there's a good chance that they have a drip brewer that's that's decent. So you can try some good coffee there uh, if they presumably have a better source of coffee than a lot of fast food joints. Um, and then the other, the last thing to hit on drip brewing is there are home brewers now, too, that give you a lot of control over the way the coffee is made. So something like mm-hmm. a precision brewer from Breville has a lot of programmability, too. Yeah, yeah. And that has... You know, you can change the flow rate, you can change the temperature, and you can change the flow rate because the Breville actually has a pump. It doesn't just boil the water. Mm -hmm. So it is a a little bit louder in the morning for sure. But you can change flow rate, temperature, bloom time. You know, it can auto start so it's ready for in the morning, which is not necessarily programmability for the uh, brewing, but it is nice to have. And yeah, that's one of the ones that you have. You can touch every parameter and you know you can really make your cup your own yep um the one kind of mythical machine that i would in general say that hasn't really been nailed is a call as a machine for drip brewing not talking about super automatics because those are for espresso but a lot of times people are looking for a drip brewer that you can put whole bean coffee in and then it grinds and then brews coffee unfortunately i would hesitate i would i don't there aren't any that i'm aware of that i would wholeheartedly recommend um there's there's a couple options that we carry because there's demand for it and they're functional they work but they can tend to be very messy and um require a lot of maintenance so generally i would recommend if you hear this and you're kind of eyeballing something like that if you if you're interested if you're at the point where you're listening to a show like this i would say just get a separate grinder and drip brewer and and kind of learn if you get one that's programmable um like you were saying then you can uh, at least grind your beans the night before, set them up in the filter, and then it'll take care of the rest in the morning. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So then um, another style of slow brewing, and we're not necessarily going to hit every single style of slow brewing that exists because there are many different um, regional ways to slow brew coffee that are mm-hmm. uh, either kind of outside of our purview or just some of them that I just don't really even know about. But um, another common one that's especially common in Europe and and also super common around the world is press brewing. Yeah, press brewing, commonly known as the French press. 
Um, I think that's one of the more common terms for it, but it's basically mm -hmm. a style of immersion brewing where you're actually soaking the grounds in the hot water for a certain amount of time, usually three, five minutes. Um, and then you're, uh, usually you're pushing down like a plunger to push all those coffee grounds right out of the way. Um, you're pushing them down with a, there's a little screen filter and you push it down and it pushes the coffee up grounds all the way to the bottom. And what you're left with is kind of a bold, a little bit oily, um, mm -hmm. but delicious cup of coffee and it's and it's quick and easy because uh it's only about five minutes start to finish and it makes as big of a batch as you want really yeah yeah and this is i think one of the ones you know when um when i talked to ali about my, my kind of introduction to specialty coffee was through pour over but she was talking about for her it was press brewing and mm -hmm. i think that's probably true for a lot of people maybe even more than for something like pour over or cold brew um because it's uh it's pretty simple and it's kind of viewed, I think, in a lot of places as a more refined way to drink coffee than using a drip brewer. So yeah. it also can be easier, too, because you don't necessarily need an, a source of electricity to use a press. You need a source of hot water. But as long as you have that hot water from somewhere, you know, you can set up a press on your desk if you want instead of needing yeah. counter space for a drip brewer. Yeah, and I think I think another reason why people really do like this method is it tends to be a, it's it's kind of forgivable in in that you can your water can be a little cooler or a little mm -hmm. warmer than um, you'd you we would recommend uh, you can have a little more a little less coffee and at the end of the day because you're pressing you're getting all those natural oils out of the coffee it kind of blends and just makes this um, it's it's a unique cup wouldn't you agree yes definitely it's definitely the the thing that I have seen that turns people off of press brewed coffee sometimes is that it is it's bold sometimes to the point of um it shouldn't really be bitter if it's done correctly but it's you get some of those earthier notes uh and it definitely is really hard to get any kind of floral or like bright uh like brighter flavor out of the coffee when you're brewing it in a press mm -hmm. it's really impossible but that is kind of the thing is is you get this is the uniqueness of that cup is is that it definitely is kind of heavy and it's because of those oils being more present in the cup itself so you get you get you're definitely it tastes thicker i would say Exactly, exactly. And it's because a lot of it too is because you're using a very coarse grind compared mm -hmm. to the other brew methods that we've been talking about. Um, it's basically as coarse as your grinder goes for most household grinders is about where you'd be for French press. Yep. Um, and and that means that you're getting a lot of those oils seeping out because um, you're not using a paper filter. You're using like a mesh filter that's built into your press. Mm -hmm. um, and even even once you're done brewing, you can actually see a lot of times um, just kind of a pool of oil if you let it sit for a minute or two, just a light coating. And a lot of people love it, and I, it, it's definitely an acquired taste. But I think it's one that um, you know I can enjoy every once in a while for sure. Same, I don't definitely. I don't yeah I don't press often, but when I do, it's always an enjoyable experience. And I tend to use it with like a more medium dark roast, yeah. something that won't yeah. And and that's sort of like I didn't. Uh, forgot to hit on specific coffees for drip brewing, but like if, if the sort of light berry floral coffees that I love for pour over are there and drip brewing, I tend to prefer more like 
solid mediums that have very balanced flavor profiles already so that the drip brewing is sort of bringing out what the coffee naturally has for press brewing i actually prefer darker roasts and when i say darker roasts, i do not mean french roast Mm -hmm. i mean darker medium um but something that's a little bit more um roasty and has a little bit more of those earthy tones to it i think comes out of a press really well uh for me personally yeah yeah and for me when i think press um Countercultures gradient comes to mind. I've yes, always, yeah. I, I actually, I, I usually have a bag of that at home, and and gradient has always done me really well. So why not try it out? It's it's yeah. it's, it's awesome. And press brewing is another one where you can get started doing it really affordably. You can get like a really good quality press for under a hundred dollars, and oh, yeah. um, and then all you really need is that grinder and the uh, your hot water source, and because you're doing it in one pour. You can much easier get away with if you have just like a, uh, a, I know for a long time all I had was like a wide mouth electric kettle that just went to boiling, had no settings. Mm -hmm. But you can use that and then let it sit off boil for like 10, 15 seconds. Again, depends on your ambient temperature. Uh, But then just pour it all in one go and you don't have to, it's good to evenly pour it if you can, but if all you have is a wider mouth kettle, there's a little bit of leeway there and you can kind of just get the water down onto the grounds and, and let it steep. Um, so it can be an affordable way to, to drink coffee too. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Uh, and then the last one we're going to hit on today, again, with the, these kind of four methods that we're talking about today are sort of broad methods that a lot of more specific, weird slow brew methods take elements of, but, the last one we're going to talk about is the uh, cold brew method, which is uh, pretty popular nowadays. Um, yeah, yeah, cold brew. It is one of the slowest brewing methods I think that we <laughs> we know of. I think um, it is the slowest that I'm aware yeah. of anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's um, well, it's let's see. Let's what is there to talk about cold brew? It's it is very popular nowadays. I think if you go into any grocery store nowadays, you'll see lines of ready to drink cold brew you'll see it at every coffee shop on the corner and i I think that's for a reason because um cold brew does take some planning ahead so for people at home um it's it's kind of difficult to sometimes schedule that out because you're brewing between 12 to 24 hours depending on your batch size Mm -hmm. which means that you know you're not going to have coffee for 12 to 24 hours and it's so much different than getting your coffee in five to 10 minutes, like you'd use usually have with a, uh, you know, any of these other methods that we've talked about. Um, cold brew is basically very coarsely ground coffee brewed in most of the times cold water for a set period of time. And it's as simple as that, you know, you can make it in a cold brew maker, like something that we offer. Um, you can also make it in something as simple as like a Mason jar, with some coffee filters yeah. if you're really inclined. Or even like a like a pan or a pot, like you can you can anything. Really, yeah. Anything and, and, and you know, you can do it at room temperature as long as it's you know, sort of covered up, or you can do it in the refrigerator. It's it's pretty versatile. Yeah, yeah. And it does take some planning ahead. You know, you do want to make um, a batch big enough for the week. That's generally what I do, like a batch big enough for a couple of days of coffee drinking. Because if you're going to be making one cup, you might as well make your cup for the whole week. And generally, it takes a lot more ground coffee because you're not mm-hmm. using the hot water. You'll be using 
um, instead of like a one to 16 ratio of coffee to water, you might be using like as little as one to five, one to yep. eight. Um, so plan on, on doubling the amount of coffee at least that you would be using and also plan on it being a little higher caffeine, uh, content than, than drip brewed coffee because of that increased, uh, amount of ground coffee. So that's one thing to note is it's a pretty, I think that's why a lot of people like it is because it's really zippy in terms of caffeine and it's really smooth. Yeah. Yeah. And one thing that's nice about it is that you really can, it's higher caffeine, but you can also dilute it to mm-hmm. typically what you'll brew at home is a concentrate. So yeah. you just will like sort of dilute it with some water and then that will give you your actual cup. And then you have a lot of control over how, like how strong you want it to be both from a caffeine perspective and a flavor perspective, although it is kind of hard to separate those things. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, yeah. And definitely a good call on the, on the concentrate pat. Cause I, yeah, you generally are going to be diluting it with either with ice, you know, water, milk, flavoring, everything like that. Um, and, and one thing to note is, you know, a lot of coffees that may shine in some other brew methods may not be, um, perfect for cold brew. Cold brew tends to pull out, uh, some people would call it oxidized, but I'd call it more just, it's kind of hard to describe the the exact flavor profile that you get out of cold brew. There is, you, you kind of want a coffee that probably doesn't have those bright and floral notes. Yeah. Um, you, you, you want something that highlights on chocolate or, or nuts or dried fruit, something yeah. with sweetness. Berry notes, I think, work pretty well for cold brew, but yeah. definitely the more floral notes are, are a little rougher and can come out kind of bitter in a cold brew. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it is interesting because a lot of times, you know, cold brew is made with darker roasts commercially. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I find that medium roast um, coffees with some of those berry notes. Like I was, I think I mentioned that at the very start, Verve Sermon does, does excellent in, in cold brew. Yep. Um, and that basically is, is a, it, to me, it tastes like blueberry pie, which is, which is awesome. Yeah. I, if you are trying cold brew for the first time, definitely take a look at some of the, a lot of roasters have a roast that's either seasonal or even a blend that's year round that's specifically roasted for cold brew or at least was roasted and then they think it will work really well for cold brew. So those are a good place to start because they're usually pretty accurate and they tend to make a nice like baseline. Here's what a cold brew can taste like kind of thing. And then Mm -hmm. you can sort of branch out from the center from there and and go towards slightly lighter and darker and different regions and stuff. Um, And I think one, one of my favorite coffee drinks is if you do like a cold brew, with those berry notes and then you mix it with uh some vanilla oat milk that is mm. like super delicious it's sort of like a, a an iced latte kind of thing going on um and uh and and highly highly recommend that so yeah it's a good brew method it's uh the only thing yeah is that it takes planning and it can take up a lot of space when you're doing it because you need a place for the coffee to sit and brew and if you're using a larger batch brewer, like something like a toddy doesn't even really fit in my refrigerator. And I like no. to brew in the refrigerator. So it can be a little bit tough to get the right balance of volume 
and space and time. But once you do, I think it's 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 pretty good. Um, yeah, yeah. And I, if you if you haven't tried cold brew, you know, at home, um, you know, and you don't know if you like it, I think just a mason jar, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a small mason jar. Look up some ratios. You know, find a ratio that you think works for you. I like one to five. You may like different ratios of coffee to water. Try that out. Just pour it through like a coffee filter into another mason jar so that it filters out all the grounds and then just taste it. And that kind of gets you on the way to knowing if that's something that you that tastes good to you or not. And honestly, if you don't have a coffee filter, you can even use like cheesecloth or something. Cheesecloth, um, yeah. That's usually that's what I first used to make uh, cold brew is I literally yeah, I put a mason jar with coffee and water in the refrigerator for like 16 hours and then the next day just poured that into a pan with a with a cheesecloth over it to filter it and then poured mm-hmm. it back into the rinsed out mason jar and that was that was it and it was great and um yeah. the brewers that you can buy i think they're worth it but usually they're just convenience options they just kind of simplify the process a little bit and give you dedicated tools for it but you can do it with anything yeah absolutely or a fine mesh strainer works um yep. okay mm-hmm. you're going to get a little more grit but it's you know you still get to taste it and and it'll usually float to the, it'll usually sink to the bottom if it's heavy enough to really be mm-hmm. noticeable. And then you can kind of, when you pour it, you can just make sure it sort of stays in the bottom. Um, yeah. Very forgiving. Very forgiving for sure. Yeah. So that's going to do it for us today uh, with our slow brew method um, talk. And we'll maybe talk about some of the more, I don't want to use the word exotic, but but less common slow brew methods in mm-hmm. the future to kind of go over some of the weirder stuff out there. Um, but thank you so much for joining us for this episode of the Seattle Coffee Gear podcast. And thanks, Jake, for joining me as well. Thank you. And if you have any questions, uh, please reach out to us at questions at seattlecoffeegear.com. And maybe we'll read your questions on the air. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you let us know in a review on your podcast platform of choice. It really does help us out. And it also helps if you tell a friend and get them subscribed as well. And then, of course, for all of your coffee needs, be sure to check out seattlecoffeegear.com and head over to our blog and YouTube for more educational and informative content about all things coffee. See you next time.